Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Open your Bibles tonight. We're going to be going tonight to Acts chapter 13. Tonight we're talking about high places. We're in Acts chapter 13, high places. What in the world can that mean? Well, it can mean a lot of things. And tonight I'll probably surprise you with what this means. You know, it has been said that it is easier to raise support for something that you're going to do than it is for something you did. It's something that us preachers kind of pass around when we go to preacher conferences Letting these young pastors know it's a whole lot easier to get people on board before you do something than it is trying to get them on board after you do it. It's a lot easier to raise, uh, to, to, to raise an offering, for example, for something that you're going to do instead of trying to raise an offering for something you did. <laughs> you know, because everybody likes, you know, to get on board. You know, um, everybody likes to get on a ship that's sailing. They don't necessarily like to, you know, pay for the ship that, that, that's already at port. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course it does. You know, for some reason, the next thing seems more exciting than the last thing. I'm guessing you've realized that. The new thing seems better than the old thing. Sure. That's human nature. But it's important to realize without the old thing, the new thing would not have been possible. Without the old thing, Without the last thing, the next thing wouldn't be possible. You know, without, without us having uh, uh, the opportunity to stand on the shoulders, as Pastor Ken said earlier, uh, standing on the shoulders of giants, then we would not be able to see so far and reach so far and do so much were we not coming along behind some wonderful, powerful, mighty people. You see, God sets things up. And we cannot forget that, that it's the old thing that enabled us to do the new thing. It's the last thing that positioned us to do the next thing. This evening, we're going to approach our Bible study in the book of Acts chapter 13 with just a little different mindset than we normally approach the Word at. Whenever I sit down to read the Word, I'm normally focusing on what it's going to tell me that, that, that's going to be done. Acts chapter 13, for example, uh, you know, it's going to tell us, if you read Acts chapter 13, that Paul and Barnabas were sent out on their first missionary journey. And all the wonderful things they're going to do, they launched out from this place called Antioch, from this great church. And I mean, you get all excited reading about all the stuff that they are going to do. And, and you know that the gospel's going around the world. That's wonderful. But we may not have paid as much attention to what God already did that made them able to launch out and do some great things. So tonight, instead of focusing on what God is about to do through the lives of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, rather, let's see what this passage in Acts chapter 13 can tell us about what God already did. Now, each week when I approach the next chapter of the book of Acts, I go to God and I, I ask him to help me do a few things. Number one is to throw away all of my notes and everything I've ever learned about that chapter. Did the same today. You know, I spent two hours with God today just saying, Lord, I want to see something different than I've seen. I don't want to say anything I've ever said before. And I mean, every week so far, uh, 
thank Jesus, he has given me a fresh perspective. And tonight, again, here I am with a fresh perspective. Most likely, everybody else in the world already knew this, and you already knew it, and I'm just coming to the revelation, and I get to stand up here and think I'm telling you something you don't know. But, but it's something that I didn't know about Acts chapter 13. And I, Acts chapter 13 is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. I mean, uh, uh, God has used it to change my life. Once, uh, one time I, I, I heard from the Lord that I was supposed to leave a church I was pastoring and, and, and go and, and, and start another church about 150 miles away. Well, I just resisted. I just thought, that's the devil. I mean, no. And then God, you know, said it again. And then I got this phone call, and then I got, you know, this, and so then I went down there, and I, and, and I talked to them, and I, I, I put out a fleece, and, and, and there was the fleece, and I, I came back, and I said, no, it can't be God. Can't be God. No. I said, God, give me another confirmation. Well, then my mother prophesied to me, of all people. And I said, well, Mom, you know, I'm just not sure it's God. I said, but Mom, would you pray with me that God give me one more confirmation? You know, I mean, I want more confirmation to God so much and you know uh, in my in my simple honest approach to God he was treating me like a like like a young son that just needed a little education so he was very gracious to me and he kept on confirming kept on confirming but every time he would confirm it I'd say I don't know you know I even went down and told him, I mean, I, I, I even was rude to the people down there that want me to come and, and, and start a church there. And they still asked me to come. And I told them, well, I, I'll have to have 100%, you know, commitment from all you guys. And, 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 and they weren't church people. They were, you know, I said, you know, since, since you don't know who they are, I can say this. I said, the only reason that you want to uh, back a church financially is because your wives want a church. If your wives want a nightclub, you buy them a nightclub, but you can't buy this preacher. And now I ain't, and, and then they still asked me to come. I mean, I did everything imaginable. And God just kept confirming, kept confirming. So, Brenda and I left oh, the, the, the Texarkana area. We were headed to Canton on one of the Canton first Monday weekends. While we were driving down the road, I was praying, oh God, Lord, do you want us to go or not want us to go? Do you want me to go and start that church or not? I just need one more confirmation, God. So I'm praying to myself. I'm not doing anything out loud. And we're just riding along in the car. And I, I, said, uh, I said to the Lord, Here, here's the deal, Lord. Not a, I'm going to ask Brenda to open up the Bible and just read to us while we're driving down the road. And if she opens up to Acts, the 13th chapter, and starts reading at the first verse, then I'm going to believe it's your will that I go ahead and say yes. So I said, hey, Brenda, won't you open up the Bible and read to us? And she said, well, where would you like to read from? I said, oh, I don't care. Just read from anywhere. And there were in the church at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. And I said, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. I said, let me tell you what I just did. I just told God that if you started reading at that verse, I would say yes, and we'd go down there. She said, no, you didn't. I said, yes, I did. And you just said, I said, I tell you what, let's pray and ask God for one more confirmation. <laughs> we joined hands and prayed for one more confirmation. And, we, and, and it was a big one. Prayed that once we got to Canton, somebody that we didn't know, that, that didn't know us, would, would, would prophesy that somebody at Canton that we didn't know and didn't know us would prophesy and say, you're supposed to move and pastor another church. And it happened that day. 
Isn't it amazing? God is amazing. You know? Well, this passage has meant a lot to me, and so I have studied it and studied and studied it, but I've never seen the approach we're going to take tonight, okay? Because I believe that, that, that God has hidden so many wonderful revelations in his word. And so this evening, we're going to take a little different approach, and instead of focusing on what God is about to do, we're going to look and see what he's already done so that what he's about to do has a chance to get done. That makes sense? Okay. Uh, sometimes we can get so caught up in what we know God is about to do that we might miss giving him credit for what he already did. Okay. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there, was, there were, were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Man, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Verse 3, then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Man, there are so many great sermons, and I've preached, you know, 46 of them right out of those verses. I mean, they are great, wonderful. But tonight, let's take this apart a little bit so that we can understand it. And I have a goal of where we're going, so just hang with me here until we get where we're going, and we'll make a life application of it tonight, okay? Let's look back at verse 1, and let's take it a little bit at a time. Uh, verse 1 begins by saying, now in the church, the church, everybody say church. church. Church, oh man, let me tell you. You know, Jesus died for the church, he came for the church, he died for the church, and he's coming again for the church. Jesus loves the church. I'm talking about he loves the church. Okay? And now in the church... This, this, this great big word, you know, uh, has a certain meaning, a certain connotation. And this is what we understand, that the church is. The church is called out. Okay? It, it, it's to be called out. We are called out of the world. That's what the church is. It, it's, it's a group of people that, that has been called by God to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord of hosts. To come out of the world. Even though we're in the world, we're not of the world. To come out, okay? And we are also not only called out, we are called together. You know, you're not just called out of the world to be an island to yourself, to be born again and sit out here at home or, or, or sit, you know, by yourself or you and your best, you know, four friends. You're not called just to come out. You are called out, but you are called together. We are called, we are called into unity. We are called to be one. We are called together. And we are not only called out and called together, we are called to gather. You know, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. We are called to gather. We are supposed to be coming together. You know, that the family should come together. Family, and that's what church is. We are called out. We are called together to, to be unified, to be one. And we are called together, and we are also called to go. Right back into that world that we were called out of. You know, we are called out, we are called together, we are called together, and we are called to go into the world. That's the church. 
And the, and, and the church is the body of Christ. We are the arms and the legs and we're the eyes and the ears and, and, and we're the feet of Jesus Christ. We are. He is the head over us, the church, Ephesians says. We are the church. We, he, he loves us. We are the body of Christ. And we function as a body. You know, every one of us, we can't say to another part of the body, you're not important. We, 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 we are called to be in unity, but we're different. We are called together as a body. I mean, somewhere out there, there's another toe that God is trying to get in here. You know, somewhere out there, there's another rib or there's, you know, I mean, somewhere, you know, we are all parts, members, the Bible says, of one another. We are members of his body. And every member is important. Not only is the church the body of Christ, the church is the bride of Christ. You know, uh, we, we, we are the bride. Now, look, you don't want to be talking about the church because you don't want to be dissing the bride of Christ. You know, you don't, I mean, don't be bad-mouthing the church because that is his bride and he takes it personal. That's what he said to the apostle Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus on his way to Damascus. He said, listen, why are you persecuting me? The Bible just said that he was, he was persecuting the church. He was persecuting, why are you persecuting me? Jesus took it personal. We are the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. And we are the family of God in heaven and earth. The church. The church is the family of God. And the church covers every born-again Christian on the earth and those in heaven. Okay? We are the church. The body of Christ. The bride of Christ. The family of God in heaven and earth. We have been called out, called together, called to gather, and called to go into all the world. This is what he's talking about. It's the church. Verse 1, he continues. Now the church that was at Antioch. Now he's talking about a localization here of a worldwide, of a, of, of a universe-wide phenomenon that he has saved souls of men and women, boys and girls on the earth and some of them are no longer on the earth as we understand, but rather they are caught into the heavens with Almighty God. But yet we are still this church. But yet he's talking about a church at a specific place. Now the church that was at Antioch. You see the church is one family. We are one family, whether you're on heaven or on earth, or whether you're a Baptist, a Methodist, a Church of Christ, Episcopalian, a Lutheran. If you have been born again, even if you're sitting home by yourself, if you're just watching church online, we are the church. We are a family. We are one church universal. Okay? Every person that names the name of Christ, every person that is born again, every person that Jesus is their Savior, it doesn't matter whether they live in China, Texas, or China, China. <laughs> We're family. We are the church, one family. But the church is also seen in many local households. And here he is specifically referring to those who have been called out, called together, called together, and called to go. And he sent them there at Antioch. He says the church which was at Antioch. Antioch, verse 1. Now in the church that was in this local, the local church, in the, at the church, the part of God's family, the household known as the church at Antioch. In that church, there were certain prophets and teachers. 
prophets and teachers. Now, he begins to name, you know, Luke begins to name the prophets and teachers here. He's very well researched. He knows exactly what he's talking about. He is giving us a model, by the way. There is a Jerusalem model of missions. There is an Antioch model of missions. He's giving us, he's, he's going to begin to tell us how Antioch, he's already told us how the upper room and the church in Jerusalem reached out into all the world, okay? Now he's going to tell us how the church at Antioch is going to reach into all the world. And then we, we will also see, you know, other examples throughout the book of Acts. But here he's about to deliver us a brand new model of what the Holy Ghost is able to do in sending people who have been called out, called together, called to gather, and called to go into all the world. He's about to give us a new model of how to reach Gentiles and what this church is going to do to spread the gospel into the whole known world in the next few years. And it's important, as God is telling us, God is naming certain people here because these people are important, evidently. And he says there were these certain prophets and teachers. Perhaps they were both prophet and teacher. Or it may be delineation that these prophets are people that, that could foretell. And that's what this word prophet means. People who would foretell things yet to come. And people who would teach people what to do because... There was a coming day. There was a coming Messiah. There was a coming concern. Teachers. One of these men who was prophet and or teacher was named Barnabas. You remember Barnabas? We studied him in, 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 in you know, chapters gone by. Barnabas was this young, spirit-filled, committed Jewish believer. The Bible calls him a good man. He was the man that was sent from the church in Jerusalem up to Antioch because they had heard that some people in Antioch had gotten saved and some of them were Hellenists. And so they sent Barnabas up there to check this out and to encourage them and also to stabilize and strengthen them and to teach them. Barnabas was responsible for going getting Saul in Tarsus and bringing him back to Antioch where they spent a whole year teaching the people and the, and, and, and the disciples at Antioch. And they were first called Christians. The believers in Jesus Christ were first called Christians there in Antioch. What an important place. And that was due largely in part to Barnabas' influence. What a powerful man of God. Young man of God. He was one of the, you know, young adults. You know, powerful. Also, the next guy that, that Luke tells us about, not only Barnabas, but he called uh, uh, Simeon or Simon who was called Niger. Now, Niger is a Latin-based word that means black. There were so many Simons or Simeons, both of those, you, you, you can read about it in Acts 15 and verse 14. Uh, you know, in the King James Version, uh, Simon Peter is called Simeon. In the New King James, he's called Simon. And in New Living Translation, they just skip all that and say Peter. <laughs> uh, but these are interchangeable terms, Simon, Simeon. There were so many of them in the church that they had to start surnaming them. Just like we do with Zachs. You know, we have drummer Zach, we have daddy Zach, we have tall Zach, we have regular Zach, we have, you know, bird Zach moved. Huh? Big Zach, we got, you know, we got so many, we had to start surnaming them. Like they did Mary, you know, in, 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 in the New Testament. They had, I mean, Mary, Mary who? Well, Mary Magdalene. Well, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Well, you know, Mary, the mother of Joseph. Uh, you know, on and on and on. 
Okay? They had so many Simons. In fact, you know, uh, there was Simon Peter. He was the son of Jonah. He's called Simon Bar-Jonah. Uh, Bar means uh, son of, son of John. Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon Johnson was his name. And, and Peter meaning rock, he was the rock. You know, he was Peter the rock. He was the rock Peter. There was, there was Simon the Canaanite who was also called Zelotes. He was the guy full of zeal. He, he was, he was uh, uh, the, the zealous disciple. The zealous, the, you know, the uncontainable Simon. The Simon, you know, that's a little bit wacky, a little bit crazy, a little bit charismatic, charismatic Simon, okay? A lot of zeal. There was Simon who was the half-brother of Jesus. I'm not sure why they called him. Mary Joe, he was Mary and Joseph's son. He could have been Mary Joe Simon. I don't know, you know. But they had to start surnaming him because they had so many of them. There, there, there was Simon the leper. They called him leper Simon. They may have called him Whitey. Who knows? Oh, uh, y'all got that, didn't you? Yeah, Brenda didn't know if that would go over tonight, but I thought it was kind of, you know, interesting. <laughs> you know, because leprosy makes you, okay, never mind. <laughs> Stay away, Simon. <laughs> There was Simon the Serene. He was a Serenian. You remember Simon the Serene? He was called to carry the cross of Jesus. Maybe he was called Cross Jesus, you know, Cross Simon. You know? Who knows? He was actually known as Rufus, Rufus's dad. If you read that, that's, that's, that's how they knew him. Simon, who had two sons, you know, uh, Alexander and Rufus, yeah. All right, then, then there was Simon. Bless this guy's heart. There's Simon Iscariot in the Bible, who was the father of Judas Iscariot. So, I mean, you have to keep all these Simons straight, okay, in the New Testament. There's a bunch of them running around. And then there was Simon the Pharisee. I call him Alabaster Simon. Because he was the Simon who Jesus was eating in his house one day, and a woman came up and broke an alabaster box that, that had a, a, you know, a very costly perfume and poured it on his head, and some of the people were wondering what was going on, and, and, and that was Simon, you know, there, you know, uh, alabaster Simon. Then there was Simon Magus. Not maggot, but Magus. He was, he was you know, uh, from Samaria. He got saved by Philip one day, and he got rebuked by Peter the next. He was Simon the sorcerer. He was sorcerer Simon. He was also a blind Simon for a little while. <laughs> then there was Simon of Joppa. Y'all remember? Whenever they send down Cornelius, Acts 10, send down to Joppa to find a man named Simon Peter. He is at the house of a man named Simon a Tanner. <laughs> Tanner Simon. <laughs> and then there's Simon Niger. Simon, literally it means Simon the Black. Then there was Lucius, Lucius of Serene. Now, some people imagine, some scholars, you know, they have some imagination that perhaps this was Luke himself. You know, I don't really see that or believe it. Uh, but, but at any rate, he's a Serenian. And Serene is, is a city in Libya in North Africa. But he could also have been a member of the Serenian group of the Brotherhood who was a part of the church, the Serenian church in, in Jerusalem that helped to stone Stephen. 
we're unsure exactly, but this is how they identified Lucius. And then man, who was Manian, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now, I'm actually going somewhere with all this. But I sure do like to give you all the information. Don't you like getting information? Doesn't it, doesn't it intrigue you? Yeah, I like it. Uh, this guy is very interesting. And this is the guy we're going to focus on tonight. Okay? Now, this young man, spirit-filled, disciple of Jesus, prophet, teacher, in the church at Antioch, very important, very prominent, is mentioned here in the Bible. I mean, and if you get mentioned in the Bible, you, you, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're either pretty up there or pretty down there, one or the other, you know. And if you get mentioned in the Bible, it's a pretty good day. Here he is, a prophet and teacher in the house of Antioch. And this guy, his claim to fame was, is that he was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Well, brought up with, what, what does that mean? That means he was, at the very least, hired or, 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 or taken in in some way to be raised as a companion with Herod, who was the son of Herod the Great. And no doubt he was going to end up being a ruler over a fourth or a third or even half of the kingdom of his father at some point, depending on how many of the sons got to rule. So what they would do uh, and, and, and what is done is that when these, you know, royal families, you know, they, 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 they bring in somebody about the same age, same stage of life, and they raise them up with them. They go to school with them. They play with them. They're their best friend. They, they you know, they, they, they don't have the same privileges, but they, you know, uh, get, get to see the same things and invited the same, you know, get to meet the same people and all, you know, all, all, all that stuff. Or some people even imagine that, that uh, 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 his mama might have been a nurse to Herod because that's also what happened. They would look around and find a woman who, who had a son about the same age and she would become the nurse and that way she could raise the two boys together. And, 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 and they would nurse, uh, you know, to, to, to be a wet nurse and to raise the children for, for you know, the Herod. His wife was, was a Samaritan. Her name was Malthus. And uh, he, he had... This Herod, Herod Antipas, which is Herod the Tetrarch. And uh, at, at any rate, this young man, Manian, was raised in the same house as Herod the Tetrarch. Perhaps a foster brother, but at least a companion. Going to school with him. You know, uh, and, and Herod... Now, these two boys raised together, okay, most likely schooled together, did everything together, you know? I mean, just constant companions. One of them we find as a prophet teacher in the house of God in the church at Antioch, a part of hearing from the Holy Ghost, 
as they were ministering to the Lord. As, how do you minister to the Lord? Well, that was one of my good sermons. Man, I love, I, I love that one. And, you know, and the Holy Ghost spoke. Well, how do you hear the Holy Ghost? You know? I mean, we, we read it in verses 2 and 3. I mean, they were ministering to the Lord. The Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then when they had fasted and prayed again, they laid their hands on them and sent them out uh, to the whole world. And that, that's why we're here today. Amazing. One of those young men raised in that household became a man of God. The other one became ruler of Galilee. And this Herod was the Herod that was the ruler of Galilee all of the time that Jesus was perform performing his earthly ministry. This is the Herod that cut John the Baptist's head off because his stepdaughter did a provocative dance and it so excited him, he said, man, I'll give you anything. And she said, give me the head of John the Baptist. And so he cut John the Baptist's head off and brought it to her in a charger. This is the Herod that Jesus warned everybody about. Beware of the leaven of Herod. This is the Herod on the night in which Jesus was arrested. When Pilate first met with Jesus, then he sent him across town because Herod, the ruler of Galilee, was in Jerusalem at that time. And since Jesus was from Nazareth in Galilee, he sent him over there and he said, listen, you judge him. He's one of your subjects. He's a Galilean. And so Herod asked Jesus a few idle questions. And then he had Jesus mocked. And then he just dismissed him like, I don't have time for you. That's this Herod. Raised with this prophet teacher. My goodness. Two boys raised in the same household kind of took a little different directions, didn't they? Yeah. Well, you ever wonder why somebody like Mannion, they're in Herod, Herod the Great, they're in, they're in the palace. How in the world Jesus got to him in that place? Well, I'm going to tell you that God has people in high places. God has people everywhere. Everywhere. There's nowhere that God cannot put a witness for him. Nowhere. In fact, even in the highest places, in the richest palaces, in the evilest regimes, in the most ungodly household, God has witnesses everywhere. Even in the household of Herod. In Luke the 8th chapter, the Bible tells us that Jesus was going around and he was preaching and he, he, he was teaching everywhere. And, you know, he was, he, he was healing people with infirmities and everything. And, and, and his, his, his 12 disciples were with him. That's what verse 1 says. And verse 2 says, and also, and certain women. He not only had all his 12 disciples with him when he was traveling around preaching and teaching and healing and doing signs and wonders and miracles, but also he had certain women who went with him 
who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, <laughs> that's that Mary, okay, out of whom he had cast seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. What does that mean? Hold on a second. What? And Susanna and many others provided for Jesus from their substance. That means they paid his bills. Now, what does this mean? That means that Jesus and the 12 were going around preaching, teaching, and healing, and, and, and doing it. And, and, and they had a, a few certain women that were going around with them, and they were paying their bills. And one of them was a woman who was the wife of the steward of Herod. A steward is somebody that takes care of all your money takes care of all your food, takes care of your household. He is this, 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 this guy who is taking care of Herod's stuff and his wife is out <laughs> running around with Jesus. Come on now. You right in Herod's own house. Right in Herod's house, his steward's wife was a born-again, spirit-filled disciple and financial supporter of Jesus and was following him around from city to city, funding his meetings and listening to him preach and watching him heal people and cast devils out. I mean, Herod was so involved in supporting the ministry of Jesus. <laughs> Didn't even know it. Wow. Isn't that amazing? God has people in high places. Not the first time God did that. Do y'all remember where Moses was raised? Anybody? Right in Pharaoh's house. <laughs> Let me tell you, God got people in high places. You know, God can put people anywhere, everywhere. It's nothing to God. Listen, there are no locked doors to God. There are no closed, you know, uh, 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 convents that God can't get into. Almighty God is everywhere. His Spirit is everywhere. And He is sending out people everywhere. God had a plan for the church at Antioch that started a long time before Saul and Barnabas were called to go on their first missionary journey. You see, we're about to read in Acts about this new thing God is going to do to reach out to the Gentiles. But the new thing is so firmly established, sitting on all of the old thing that God had done. God worked a long time to get the church at Antioch to the place where they could launch out and do great things. It was because of all the great things God had already done behind the scenes that he didn't necessarily write in some little nice prose for us. Not only was Moses in Pharaoh's house, the Bible says Moses paid a little price for that. Hebrews 11.25 says that Moses chose to suffer with the children of Israel rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He had it pretty cushy and he could have stayed right there and done that. But just like this young man, man, he, 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 he took a different course than Pharaoh did. You remember Obadiah in Ahab's house? Ahab was one of the wickedest men that ever lived. Ahab and Jezebel. And you remember when the prophet Elijah, if you've read it, if you haven't read it in 1 Kings 18, let me encourage you to read it, 17, 18. And then in 1 Kings 18, you know, uh, Elijah, it hadn't rained in like, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, a couple of years or so. And, and so here, Elijah says, I'm going to cause it, you know, to rain. 
And he goes and finds Obadiah. Obadiah was a man of God. But yet, he was serving in Ahab's house. And he said, Obadiah, go and tell your master to meet me on Mount Carmel. And Obadiah said, oh, don't you know? Don't you remember? Now, you know, I'm a servant of the Lord. I hid prophets from Jezebel when she was going to kill the prophets of God. I put them in caves and took care of them 50 at a time. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy, I'm, I'm, I'm a servant of God, but I'm right there in Ahab's house. God got people in Ahab's house serving him. God got people in Pharaoh's house serving him. God got people in Herod's house serving him. But you know what the shocker is? I was studying today and guess what I came across? I came across the most evil person that I personally believe ever lived. It was Nero. Emperor Nero, Rome. The, the one that, you know, cut Paul's head off and crucified Peter upside down and put Christians on popsicle sticks and stakes and stuck them out and set them on fire so that he could light up his garden. I mean, this guy, I mean, he, he, he killed his mother. He killed his wife. He killed his brother-in-law. He, 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 you know, he kicked one of his wives to death. He even found a, a man that looked like one of the wives that he had kicked and killed while she was about seven months pregnant, killed her, and he felt so bad about it, he found a man that reminded him of her, and he castrated the man and married the man. This was an evil man. Now, the Apostle Paul lived in Rome in a house while he was in prison the first time. He lived in a house that joined to Nero's palace. And all this was going on during the time the Apostle Paul lived there. And the Apostle Paul wrote a few of the books there. And he stayed focused on the gospel. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't get distracted onto all the worldly things. He kept telling about Jesus Christ. He said, I've determined not to know anything except Jesus Christ and I'm crucified. But we can put history and the word of God together. And the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And in the book of Ephesians, excuse me, he, he did. But he wrote this to the book of Philippians, to the, to the church in Philippi. In the book of Philippians... In the fourth chapter, he is closing out this, this letter to the church in Philippi. And he says in verse 22, Now listen, Christians in Philippi, all the saints greet you, especially those who are in Caesar's household. <laughs> God got a bunch of Christians right there in Nero's own house. Even in his household, even in his family, people are getting born again. People are getting spirit-filled. People are getting healed right there in Nero's house while all that's going on. Let me tell you, God got people in high places. Never fear, never despair. God has people everywhere. We need to make that. Never fear, never despair. God has people everywhere. You know, <laughs> I didn't realize that until just now. <laughs> Never fear. Never feel like you don't have an advocate because God has born again, spirit filled, committed Christians everywhere. They're in the White House, they're in North Korea, they are in China. 
They are in Mexico. They are in every place. I'm telling you, they're in Congress. They're in parliaments. They are everywhere in important people's house. And, 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 and listen, they, they are in the most evil regimes in the, in, 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 you know, in, in, in the most ungodly places. God has somebody there as a witness to him so that young men like this young man can be raised up and brought out on a new course and ends up standing up and hearing from God and prophesying your future and my future by saying, you, Saul of Tarsus, you shall now be known as the Apostle Paul and you will go into all the world and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Amazing. Wow. You see, the greatest move of God in the coming generation, and there's going to, listen, the coming generation, the next thing is going to be the best thing. Okay? But the coming move of God in the next generation has to sit upon what we are willing to accomplish in this generation. Because without us, the next generation doesn't have a chance. They will launch off of the things we do for Jesus. God has a plan. He will succeed. And you have a chance to participate. Your chance to participate is called today. Today. What you do makes such a difference for all that God wants to do in days to come.